Let's continue worship with a reading from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and one the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and it, with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink of his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now, there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, this man who's done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore... The sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Greet one another. Gary, Gary, give Gary a hand. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Is that on? Okay. Chris is very excited this morning. Yeah, and uh, I almost bailed out on him, I will tell you, as I um, had a, quite a morning trying to print my, my message, as I usually do, I'll get up, kind of go over my message, try to print it, my printer wasn't working. It's like, oh, wow, how am I going to do this? Try some other things, didn't work. I'm like, okay, so I brought my laptop bag, I don't have an iPad like Chris, but my laptop is really a desktop, it just kind of sits there, I never, you know, take it, it's always charging. And so Shufan said, well, email it to me. And I said, okay. I kind of opened it up, turned it back on, and my battery started draining. I'm like, okay, that's not going to work, you know, if I get there. Anyway, I got it printed. So uh, thanks, Chris. We kind of worked something out when I got here, so I got it printed. So everybody, I'm Gary, in case you don't know me. Uh, I'm on the elder board here at the church. Every now and then, Chris loses his mind and says, well, Gary, I want you to speak. And I said, okay, you know, I'll oblige. But, I, you know, I'm sure he's always on pins and needles because there's no telling what's going to come out of my mouth. Um, so the title of my message today is, Who, Me? Who, Me? Now, you might wonder, like, what, what is that talking about? It's going to be related to the scripture that, uh, that, that, that Chris read. But in doing research uh, for this message, I thought I had heard this, Who, Me? kind of question uh, somewhere, you know, along the path of life. And I said, oh, I know why I know that, who, me. It's from the little the cookie jar story, so, or the, the game that we played it, as kids, right? You know, kind of like, you know, you know like, like, who stole the cookie from the cookie jar? Right, and so I was like, oh, that's neat. And so I just came across a, 
um, little video that I thought was really funny, and I'm going to share this with you. Not the video, but just the story. So the kids go, the kids go to, to kindergarten, and the teacher is telling them, you know, okay, this is how we're going to play the game. It's a, you know, good way to have rhythm and to learn each other's names, you know, and to make relationships. So first day of school there, I'm just going to limit it to three people. There's Sarah, there's Pete, and there's Equimonious. So you figure out who those are, you know. And so they start the game. Who stole the cookie from the cookie jar? You know, who, me? Yes, you, not me. You know, then who? So, you know, Pete says, well, Equimonius stole the cookie from the cookie jar. So Equimonius is supposed to come in and say, who, me? He said, man, nobody steal no cookie from no cookie jar. <laughs> say, I don't even have a cookie jar. What you talking about cookie jars and all of that? So I, I, thought, that, I thought that was really funny. Um, so anyway, uh, the message today is going to be, the purpose of it is to take an inward look at ourselves instead of an outward look at others. And if you're like me, you're probably more inclined to see the indiscretions and the imperfections of other people um, and probably not as inclined to see those within yourself. And I think this story of Nathan and David, I think it perfectly illustrates how we're, you know, we always tend to see other people's indiscretions or faults, you know, or, or where they're short. We always see it as worse than, than ours. So just a little background here. I'm sure everybody knows this, but I'm not going to assume that everybody's kind of grew up in church and knows, you know, the story of David and Bathsheba. But just to summarize, David did a terrible thing when he was, when he was king. You know, he saw uh, Bathsheba uh, bathing on a rooftop, and he lusted after her, sent for her, you know, slept with her. She became pregnant. And not only did he do that, he complicated that action uh, out of embarrassment and shame with because Bathsheba was married by having her husband, um, Uriah, murdered. Sent him out to the to the front of the battle of the battle line where he knew that he would die in order to cover up his sin. So this is what happened in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 11, and um, so now we're gonna we're gonna look at uh, chapter 12 or 2 Samuel. I'm sorry. So what I want to do is to take that that reading that Chris read, and I want to dissect it verse by verse, because I think we all can learn something from it. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, every week that I come to church, you know, I have two goals. One, I want to be filled up. I want to be led into the presence of Lord, of the Lord. And secondly, I want to learn something from church that I can apply to my life that is going to draw me a little closer on to Jesus. Day by day, week by week, something that I can apply to my life, that I can implement in my life to draw me closer on to Jesus. So let's go with the reading. So the first uh, in chapter, in verse uh, 2, in verse 1, it says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Uh, when he came to him, he said, and he starts telling the story. So the first question I have here is, why Nathan? Why was, would God send Nathan to David? Why not somebody else. And I think it's very pertinent to this story um, who Nathan is and why God sent Nathan. So if you go a little, uh, if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, it mentions Nathan. And Nathan had a relationship with David. God had used Nathan 
in the past to impart some words of wisdom to David. Now, why is that important? That's important because David knows who Nathan is. David knows that he has a relationship with David and he and uh, with Nathan, and he knows that Nathan has his back. Nathan is not just some stranger, you know, that he doesn't know, um, trying to share something with him. Nathan and David, there's a there's a relationship there. There's some credibility that Nathan has with 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 David, which is very very uh, pertinent to this story. So David knew that Nathan was genuine and that Nathan had his back. So that's why a good reason why Nathan is in the position that he's in and why God sent him to, uh, you know, to, um, to share this with David. So Nathan wasn't some fault-finding, self-righteous, holier-than-thou person that, that David didn't know that was trying to bring David down. That, that was not his, his purpose. Many times in our life, you know, people call us out and they share things with us. And maybe, maybe you might be that person that does that in somebody else's life. But the question I have for you there is, do you have the credibility, do you have the camaraderie, the relationship established to share that? If you do, and the person knows that you have their back, I believe they'll be a lot more receptive, as David was, to receiving the message. So we really need to look at ourselves before we do that. Um, you know, before we, we, we go and share something with, with, with somebody. They'll be more receptive if they know we have their back, if we have a relationship with them, and, and, and if they know that we're genuine, you know, in what we're, what we're doing. Uh, verses 2 to 3 says, The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. Um, he raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. Uh, it shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arm. It was like a daughter to him. I think what this passage is telling us here, it's establishing uh, a cla classism, if you will. These two people in this story that Nathan is important to, to David, they're, they're two people. One is rich and high in society and has a bunch of stuff. The other is poor and has very, very little. And I think if we apply that to our lives and you start wherever you are in life, you might be the person at the bottom of the rung or in certain situations, you might be the person at the top of the rung. Either way, there's an expectation of how we are to behave. And that expectation is rooted in Jesus. Whether, whether you're high on the hill or whether you're at the bottom of the floor. That expectation is rooted in Jesus and how Jesus treated people and how Jesus, in fact, assumed certain roles, you know, in, in, in relationships. So we have Nathan that has credibility with David to impart a message. And we see in the story that Nathan is, is telling uh, to David that there's a rich person, somebody high on the hill, and then there's a poor person. So classism, authority, the have and the have-nots, if you will. Uh, verse 4 says, Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for a traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now, I think we all can agree 
not a great thing right there. And, the, you know, probably you're like me after you're going like this. You're like, would I do that? Who, me? And my answer would be like, probably so. Yes, you. I know when I ask myself that question, have there been times in my life where I've taken advantage of my authority, my position, and I've kind of, you know, uh, done things that I probably shouldn't have? And if I'm honest, I would say yes. But all it takes is an inward look, turning my eyes inward, and just going through, you know, the catalog of my life, my week, you know, and, and different times in my life, and saying, where was I on the top of the hill? Where was I, you know, where did I have authority, and where did I abuse that authority? An interesting little story, many of you know that uh, I moved to Liberia when I was six years old, six or seven years old. Uh, my parents got divor divorced. My mom relocated to Liberia. I went to a camp uh, called Camp Luana in, in Liberia. It was sponsored by the uh, Baptist Seminary over there. So it was a Christian camp, and I wasn't saved at the time. But one of the exercises they did that kind of had a very profound effect on my life is our counselor said, like, okay, we're going to play a game. And... He partnered us up with, with, you know, we had a partner. Everybody had a partner. And the, he said, like, so today there, in your partnership, there's going to be a master and there's going to be a subordinate. So there's going to be a boss and there's going to be an employee. Now, I need all of you guys to agree that anything the master says you have to do. No questions asked. You know, do we agree? And we're, you know, seven, eight years old. Yeah, yeah, you know, we agree. And so in the cabin that I was in was a guy named Dominic. And I'll never forget this. We woke up in the morning, and Dominic called uh, his partner. And he says, I want to go to the bathroom. You know, I need to hop on your back. He hopped on the guy's back, and there were latrines actually outside the cabin, probably about maybe 200 yards from the cabin. And... Uh, Dominic had his partner walk him to the latrine on his back, stand there, wait for him to use the latrine, bring him back. You know, Dominic says, make my bed. Dominic went as far as to say, feed me. And so we go to lunch and, you know, and he's just, you know, his partner's just feeding him. And at the time, I was a master. I didn't really feel like I needed to do anything, you know. But I did tell my guy after seeing Dominic, you know, do all this stuff, you know, I said, hey, go get me a napkin. You know, so he, he got me a napkin. The next day, after we huddle up, uh, the counselors come in, and they said, well, how did that go yesterday? And people are complaining. He said, okay, so today we're switching roles. Whoever was the master is now the slave, and whoever was the slave is now the master. And I'm just going to leave the story at that and let your imagination run wild. <laughs> but let's just say that Dominic was not a happy camper, Okay. <laughs> And, but that goes to illustrate once we, and we were kids then, but I think this has manifested itself in most of our lives, that if you find yourself in a position of authority, um, like Jesus, what we should do is to be a servant, okay? We need to flip that paradigm upside down. We need to serve instead of being served. That was the, the, the motto of Jesus. In this story, what we see is because there was a rich man, you know, and a poor man, the rich man took the poor man's ewe lamb and gave it to the, to the traveler. Um, the other interesting thing that comes from this story is how, how could he just do that? Why we, Weren't there any consequences for him just doing that? 
But that's where classism comes in. And for all of, all of us that think that we're self-righteous, we wouldn't do that. I'll ask a simple question. What are you capable of doing if there were no consequences for your actions? A lot of us refrain, including myself, from doing things because, you know, there may be consequences. You know, it's not that, you know, I'm so great or you're so great and you're just so, you know, holy and righteous that you don't do it. If you were in a position, if you were a CEO, if you were a president and you could do anything you wanted and there was no consequence for your action, would you do it? If everybody else was doing something and getting away with it, would you do it? if it benefited you? Those are questions we need to ask ourselves because it's so easy to turn eyes at other people when we see other people do it, and we say, I would never. I would never. I submit to you that as Nathan tells David this story, David is saying, I would never. I would never. But one day, never comes knocking on your door. One day, never comes knocking on your door. And how do you respond? How do you respond? In verses 5 and 6, this is where I can really resonate with, with, with David and kind of see where he's coming from. Uh, 5 and 6 reads, it says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. What David is saying here is that what this rich man has done is so despicable it's so, you know, beyond bad that he must die. He needs to be punished. There needs to be some, some serious consequences for his actions. What else David is saying in there? He's like, I would never do that. Who, me? Of course not me. That's why his judgment and the punishment that he had in his mind for this man was so severe. It was so severe because never in David's wildest dreams after hearing this story would he ever even consider doing something like that. Now, mind you, he do, he's done something much worse, much worse. But because of his authority, because of his position, because there were no, he hadn't been called on it yet, he didn't even see it. And that's what I'm telling you, and that's what I've told myself. There's so many times in my life that I've, you know, reacted the wrong way, said the wrong things, you know, treated somebody, you know, in a way that I probably, you know, didn't want to, didn't mean to, but I, I don't see it. I don't see it. So we all need Nathans in our lives. All of us need Nathans in our lives. If we got a bunch of people, like everybody other than Nathan, because David was king, nobody um, had said anything to David about what he had done. But we all need Nathans in our lives. It's very uncomfortable. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky. I have probably eight Nathans in my life. I have a group of four guys from college that, you know, as Chris always says, to be fully known and fully loved, that we just bear our, our, our souls to each other. Like, look, man, I messed up. Or they'll tell me, you know, you messed up. You know, you're better than that, G. And I got a, you know, a group of friends here that do the same thing, and we have a, a monthly accountability meeting. If, I, if there's one thing you take from this message today, I would strongly urge you to find a Nathan in your life. Find a Nathan in your life, somebody who's trusted, somebody that you know love, loves you, somebody that has your best interests at heart. And have that person just be brutally honest with you. No, it's not judging you because they want to bring you down. It's pointing out your faults where you can get better, where you can live the life that Jesus has called you to live.
we all need that person in our lives. Do we agree? Do we agree? Yeah, let's do it. I'm telling you, it's, it, it's tough. But the one thing about that, that situation is every time, the more, you know, it's, it's like riding a bicycle. The first day you ride it, you know, you may fall off, get back on, but eventually you become good at it. Eventually you become good at receiving constructive criticism, being called out. You know, you become, you know, because you, especially when it's from a good place. So let's continue on. So David burned with anger against the man, and he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Nathan, in verse 7, says, this man is you. You are that man. You are that man. And immediately, you know, David, as David, you know, does in the Bible, David owns up to it. But what I think is, is interesting in David's, uh, uh, when he first received the story, what he was saying is, what's good for the goose is not good for the gander, as long as I'm the gander. What he was saying is that he should be treated differently and not judged as harshly as the rich man. What he was saying was he was better or in a better position, in a higher authority than the rich man, so he should be treated differently. In his mind, what he was saying, well, at least when he heard the story, at least I'm not him, the rich man, which is exactly what we do over and over and over again. Just recently, I was with some friends and trying to condense this story, but had a friend, infidelity in the marriage, because uh, he went, traveled, met a lady, you know, he was married at the time, infidelity in the marriage, divorced his wife, married the lady. As I'm speaking to the lady about this very thing, you're like, what would we do if, we, if there were no consequences for our actions? Um, we got on another buddy of mine. Don't be my friend. You'll probably be, you know, infidelity in your marriage. Uh, but same thing. Now, my buddy, church-going guy, very, you know, no different than, than me and you. And we talked about things all the time. We've seen, we talked about infidelity, you know, and all of this stuff. And he would say, uh, yeah, but those people don't have God in their lives. Like, Gary, that will never happen to me. You know, that I'm rooted in Scripture. You know, they don't have God in their lives. That's why they do that. And sadly to say, it happened to him. And as I'm telling this lady, you know, that she said, now mind you, the lady who kind of, you know, was with a man who was married and ended up marrying the guy, you know, and she said, what is wrong with these women? You know, why would you ever, you know, participate, you know, or be uh, uh, hooked up with a man who's married? And I was not a Nathan then because I didn't have credibility with this lady, but I knew her history. I knew that she did the exact same thing, that she, you know, hooked up with a married man, you know, when he was married, she, you know, he divorced his wife. They got married. She did the exact same thing. But as I'm telling you here, when it's, 
we, it's hard for us to see what we've done. I thought this was so blatant. I didn't have the guts to say anything. And I wasn't because I don't think I had the credibility or, you know, the, you know, the relationship to do that. But I thought that was really strange. And so I kind of looked at my own life and like, wow, you know, have I been that person, you know, ever? And maybe it's not infidelity, but I can promise you that, and I have, you know, and I'm not going to tell you, but I've, I've had some things where that have been revealed in my life that God has revealed where, yes, I was much harder, much more judgmental on somebody else than I was for myself. Uh, Matthew 7, 1, 5 says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you also. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. How convicting is that message? Those were words from Jesus' mouth from the Sermon on the Mount. How convicting is that to you? It's very, very convicting to me. Very, very convicting to me. So back to the story. If you're David, after Nathan says, you are that man, how would you react? Remember, David is king. You know, he, he's, uh, he, he's at the top of the hill. How would you react to being called out after being exposed? Would you ask the question, who, me? I'm going to tell you what I would do. I was like, you talking to me? You got the wrong one, my man. You got the wrong one. Don't talk to me. You know, do, do you know who I am? You don't know who I am? David didn't do this. The other thing I would do is I would try to explain it away. Oh, that's different. It's different. This rich man had a lot, and he just, you know, uh, preyed on the poor guy because he knew nothing would happen to him. So my situation is different. This is what we do when, we're get, when we get called out. I'm going to challenge you right now to think about if you've ever been called out, if, you're, if your wife, if your kids, if anybody has told you that you're doing something wrong, is your initial response is, you got room to talk. You do X, Y, Z. How about the time you did this? I mean, we totally miss, you know, the message that is coming to us because of pride, because of self-centeredness, because we think that we're always better, because we think they're perfect. Somebody always told me, they said, you know what? Everybody knows they're, they're, they're not perfect until somebody tells them they're not perfect. Then they have a problem with it. I can walk, I can walk around here and say, like, you know what, Riverstone Church, I'm not perfect. I have faults and all of that. You know, but let somebody come and say, like, well, Gary, you're, this is a fault of yours. Like, you talking to me? Like, man, come on, man. No, no, that's not what we're going to do here today. That's not, but we justify our actions. We place blame on others. We cite differences between the situations because we don't want to look at ourselves. We are better. And we, you know, it brings us down because we want to think of ourselves as being this holier-than-thou, self-righteous person, when we all have dirt. You know, the Bible says we all have sinned and we all have fallen short at the glory of, of the glory of God. So what was David's reaction? Uh, it wasn't in the text, but David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He owned it. In verse 13, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. That simple statement, there are a lot of, there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that. One, he owned it. He admitted it. 
Two, it shows a lot of humility because of David's position. And three, just in that I have sinned against the Lord, there's built-in repentance in that statement. Do you guys remember what repentance is? I mean, Chris so beautifully laid it out a few weeks ago, you know, thinking about your thinking. I'm like, Chris, what? Thinking about my thinking? But yes, so David, thinking about his thinking, how he reacted, his thoughts, and how he handled the whole situation um, um, with, with Bathsheba. You know, wow, I, I was wrong, you know. So he, he, he was humbled. He was humbled. But the great thing, and this is all, you know, uh, beyond verse 10, the great thing about our Lord and our Savior, Jesus, is there's always room for redemption. When we repent, there's always room for redemption. So my question to you is, is there room for redemption in others' lives after they've, you know, had some indiscretions against you or against someone you love? Is there? Or do we you know, become part of the cancel culture and just cancel them out. Like, because you or I would never do such a thing. And they did it, and they're out. Well, bringing this to the church, there's so many leaders in the church, pastors, you know, that, you know, fall victim, you know, to sin. As I stand here before you, I can promise you I'm going to fall victim to sin before I get home today. Is there any room for forgiveness, or do we have a hierarchy? Oh, it's okay if the pastor lies, but if he steals, I'm done with him. Oh, well, God forbid if he was weak in a moment and, you know, was like, you know, uh, uh, and had infidelity in his marriage, he's done. I'm done with him. Now, I'm not saying that we condone these behaviors, but I think the Bible is very clear what it's saying here, we know that David was a child of God. David was a man after God's own heart. But yet, even he was not, you know, free from the temptations that we all feel every day. Even he wasn't free from never knocking on his door. Even he wasn't free from what many would call, like, you know, a, a very, very bad sin. Because that's what we do. We all know it. You know it. I know it. You know, we, we think sin is sin, but, you know, some sin, you know, the ones that you do is a lot worse than the ones that I do, you know. And I'm going to punish, I'm going to punish you a lot harsher than I'm going to punish myself because, oh, mine was just itty bitty, you know. But you, how could you? That's what we do. How do we, how, how did David even get beyond you know this. This is a, a, a tough encounter. I mean, let's be real. I just got called out. I did a terrible thing. Not only did I, was I, you know, did I sleep with a man's wife, you know, I had a man killed to cover it up. This is tough stuff. I'm going to tell you, I don't know of how many people in here would be like, nah, me and David still boys. You know, me and David still boys. You know, I don't know how many people in here would be that way. I mean, let's be honest. This would be a terrible thing. We would condemn him package him up, you know, out of here, you're done. That, that's not what God did. Because David's sin didn't change who David was. Read the book of Psalms. David, no, I mean, God had, had delivered David from Saul. You know, David, you know, was praising God, you know, in, in, in a bunch of the Psalms. David was a man of God, but he's still not, you know, a, a free, you know, from, from all the sins of this world. So let's see what happened. 
So the indiscretion didn't change who David was because we know that David always sought to be more like Christ. And I sure hope that every one of us in here is seeking to be more like Christ. You know, regardless of what you've done, God can forgive everything and anything. But to be more like Christ, what do we have to do? And I submit to you today to be more like Christ, instead of asking who, me, you know, and not looking at ourselves, we need to look at ourselves and we need to seek the mind of Christ. We need to seek the mind of Christ. Romans 12, 2, and I think I have a slide up there, says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Folks, everything we do, it formulates in the mind. If we can have a clear mind, a clean mind, you know, that's going to be the driving force for things that we do. You know, our thoughts, our thoughts, you know, we kind of marinate on our thoughts and then they kind of result in the action. Ephesians 4, and 23 puts it this way uh, concerning the mind. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. We got to get our minds set on Christ in order to live more like Christ. The more we think like him, the easier it is to live for him and to emulate him. So you ask, well, Gary, what is the mind of Christ? It's a good question. Good question. I got an answer for you. So the mind of Christ is the mind that chooses humility over pride. The mind of Christ is the mind that chooses service over demands. The mind of Christ is a mind that regards others with love and seeks opportunity to dispense grace and mercy. That's the mind of Christ. That's, the, that's what we should be seeking. That's what we should be each and every day, whether it's during your quiet time, whether it's coming to church, whether it's interacting with, everybody, with other people, we need to be seeking the mind of Christ. We need to see how we can serve them. We need to see, uh, we need to show humility, you know, in dealing with them. You know, we need to, to, to consider them with love and seek opportunities to dispense grace and mercy. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself. Value others above yourself. Pastor Scott used to say years ago, you know, that it's not about me. You know, that I'm not, that he's not like the lead character in his own movie. You know, it's not about me. We got to take our eyes. When we look, take our eyes and look at ourselves, we ought to be looking at ourselves like Christ looked at us. Christ looked at us, you know, with, with grace and mercy and pity and said, like, I need to do something, you know, to save those people. All our interactions, all our relationships, we need to do something to lift those people up, to bring them closer to Christ. We can't afford, life is short, we can't afford to be condemning people, throwing them away, you know, getting involved in this cancel culture because what they did or what they said, you know, and, and just totally eliminating them. We need to be, we need to have a fragrance and an aura about us that's going to welcome them in, you know, and show them the love of Christ each and every day. We need to humble ourselves. We need to show that we can take criticism, that we can take feedback, and we can implement it and tell people that, that yes, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me. You know, I want to be better. I want to be like Christ. I want to be like Christ. In Isaiah 64, 6, because many of you, like me, say, like, I do a lot of great things. You know, I love people. I do this. 
But if that's not done, you know, for the purposes of Christ, it means nothing. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of us has become like one who is unclean and all our unrighteous acts and all our unrighteous, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. If you're being good just to be good, doing good things, just to, you know, to satisfy people and that doesn't, is not motivated by a love for people and by a love for Christ and tried to build his kingdom, God doesn't want your righteousness. They're like filthy rags. Everything we do. If it's not motivated by God, if it's not motivated by trying to, you know, bring people closer to God, if, it's, if we're not trying to represent God and show his glory as we do things, like filthy rags, we don't want it. I'll wrap up with the last two verses of the focus scripture, the last three. Uh, verses 8 and 9, uh, God says, Nathan is telling David, I gave, you your master's, I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. What Nathan is saying here is he's reminding David that God's provision is enough. God's provision is enough. God, Nathan's reminding David that God has given you, you know, abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine. Yet, it wasn't enough for you. You wanted more because of your fleshly desires. That's my message to you. God's provision is enough. Wherever you are in life today, however much you have or don't have, God's provision is enough. And God promises that he will always take care of us. We don't need to lust after and want and seek more, you know, than God has given us. Nothing wrong with wanting it. What lengths do you want to go to to get it? God will provide it in his time. God will provide it in his time. Verse 10. Verse 10 says, Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And what Nathan is telling David there, and what the message to all of us is, there are consequences for our actions. They may not be realized, you know, on this side, you know, next week, you know, the next month. Nothing that we do is hidden from God. God knows our motives. He knows our thoughts. God knows everything. God knows everything. There are consequences for actions. God does forgive, full of mercy and grace. But rest assured, there are consequences for our actions. One of the things that was so evident to me in this story is no matter what your habits are, no matter how highly you think of yourself, no matter what your spiritual habits are and, you know, all the things we do, we all are the same. You know, we all are subject, you know, to the temptations of this world. We all are subject to you know, bad relationships, you know, people wronging us, us wronging people, treating people the wrong way, saying things that we, we probably shouldn't say. Let's not, let's try to eliminate the word never from our vocabulary. 
The next time you, you say never, take it back. I will never. I will never. Because you, you just don't know when never is going to knock on your door. I've tried to eliminate that word, that, that word and, and the word always. Because they're so absolute. And when we say that, it's professing that we know what the future holds, that we're in total control of ourselves and our speech and our actions at all times. When I think if we're honest, we know that we aren't. So I've kind of replaced never with Lord willing. Lord willing, I won't do that. You know, with the help of God, I won't do that. I won't be that person. That's what I've tried to implement in my life, having read this story of David, long before, you know, having read this story of David. I want to ask you one question. Have you asked who me recently? Has anybody ever told you or you, have you heard a story of somebody doing something or a situation that someone's in and you've asked, like, who me? Like, that, that wouldn't be me. If you have, I want to invite you, and I'm going to close the, close the message. I want to invite you to pray with me right now so that God will reveal to us, you know, all the dirt in our lives, all the places where, you know, where we're just as dirty as the people that we're judging. We're just as dirty as, as the people that we're condemning. I'm going to pray right now and I'd ask you to join me that God would reveal those places to us in our lives and that we would take those places and try to clean them up, invite Jesus in to clean them up, to clean them up so that we're more like him. Let us pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of conviction. Father, we thank you that you see everything in our lives, Lord. And even, that, even while we don't, Father, we are asking you right now, Father, to come into our, come into our hearts, Father. Reveal all the, the dirty stains that are within us, Father. Everything that is keeping us from, from being who we are in you, Lord. From fulfilling the, the mandate that you have given us, Father, which is to go out and spread your word to all nations, Father. To show love to our neighbors uh, as we love ourselves, Father. We ask, Father, that you would just uncover those areas of our life, Lord. Give us the courage, Lord, that once we know these areas, Father, that we will allow you to clean them out. Allow you, Lord, to just direct our paths. Allow you, Lord, to fill us so that we can dispense your glory and show your glory and your honor and your favor to all those who need it, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.